Happy Halloween if you celebrate it. Blessed Samhain if you celebrate it. Happy Eve of All Saints if you celebrate it. And have a really good October 31st if to you the universe is a cold, dead machine. All are welcome to Vase, a podcast about weird stuff. I'm Peter C. Hine. And I'm not. I'm Stephen James Buckley. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <That's right. laughs> and tonight we're going to do something different, hopefully a little more lighthearted for Halloween. We're going to talk about a defining moment in popular culture, a landmark in comedy, horror and science fiction, a touchstone for both me and Buckley, and probably one of the reasons that we're both here tonight talking about weird stuff. We're going to talk about Ghostbusters. Yeah, so Ghostbusters. And uh, what Hein says is completely true. I think that was the first thing I remember talking to you about was Ghostbusters. Um, I think it was like our, our first, sort of the first thing we bonded over. And, uh, and it's kind of been with us sort of throughout our lives. And um, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. It's an amazing film. It still stands up today. And I think, um, you know, it's one of those, it got to us just at the right time and the right age uh, when, you know, you didn't just have Ghostbusters, you had like the real Ghostbusters cartoons and you had the action figures and stuff. Um, And I remember seeing Ghostbusters 2 at the cinema uh so you know it was we were just exactly the right age and the right kind of the right kind of children to you know that it that it got right into and yeah fired up our imaginations my parents wouldn't take me to see ghostbusters too um i think i think i was so into ghosts and the occult at that age i think what were we like nine years old seven years old maybe seven years old um i think that they thought it would just encourage me yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that worked. Yeah, I was going to say it didn't work out very well, did it? I think that Ghostbusters is, at least the first one, is maybe one of those films that is as close to a universal experience in the sort of Western world as you can have in film. You know, I mean, there's a few like that. There's Raiders of the Lost Ark's a bit like that. Yeah. Um, maybe one or two other films. Star maybe kind Wars. of Lord of the Rings has come into that. Star Wars, yeah. yeah. Uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, um, I think, have sort of come into that thing where you very rarely meet someone who hasn't seen Ghostbusters. Um, and I don't think that you will come across someone probably, even now, whatever it is, nearly 40 years later, who wouldn't recognise the Ghostbusters symbol if they saw it. And would you want to meet someone who hadn't seen Ghostbusters? Well, I once did. I I won't name him. It was someone that you and I both know that I lived with. Is he still alive? He knows knows who he is, but basically I sat him down, got him an ice cream, and we watched Ghostbusters. I think I know who it might be. I know which, I think I know, yeah. Yeah. I've got an idea of who this might be. He knows, if he's listening to this, he knows who it is. He remembers that day well. Yeah. As as everyone, I mean, I remember, probably one of my first experiences that I remember of watching a film was Ghostbusters, I think. I remember like hiding behind the, um, uh, my my grandparents' sofa. Like I had it recorded on a VHS from a Christmas Day showing. Right, okay. Um, uh, which is that one that was edited? Oh yeah, you. I remember we watched we watched it together. A group of us when we were about fifteen, sixteen, watched it together. And uh, Hein was horrified because it, his version of it that he had taped off the telly 
had all the swearing cut out and it had Ray's erotic dream cut out as well. And you'd, Yeah, you'd... loads of it was cut. It was a Christmas Day showing. I think the first time it had ever been shown on British network television. Uh, and my, my granddad had taped it off TV. And I remember him showing me that library ghost scene. Terrifying. Um, absolutely terrifying. I remember like literally running behind the sofa. Yeah. Um, but... That was it. Like I think more than any other film I've seen, Ghostbusters um, more than any other film. I, I I've watched it over and over and over again, and there's no film that could compare to that for me. I, I used to, when I used to go running at the gym, um, for like an hour on a treadmill, I, I'd, I'd have nothing to listen to before the days of like iPods and stuff. Um, I would just go through the script of Ghostbusters in my brain and just watch it in my mind yeah. as I was running because I, I'd just seen it so many times. It was one thing that I could reliably yeah. watch, you know. Um, and it's not a long film either. I mean, it's a decent length compared to the blockbusters that are around now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, think it, I think it's about one hour 45. Yeah, if um, that, it's pretty short. Yeah, uh, it's, it's very, very short. Uh, but it was incredibly successful as well. Um I mean, I think it was um, the biggest film of 1984, apart from Beverly Hills Cop or something like that. And it was, for ages, the highest grossing comedy uh, that had ever been. Um, it was just a, like a runaway success. Um, you know, the, the guys who were in it were kind of famous already. They were from Saturday Night Live and various comedy uh, troops from America. But after that, they were sort of stratospheric stars and it's weird when you you see now like you don't get many film stars like those guys anymore do you no definitely they're not, not kind of conventionally beautiful i mean they're, they're photogenic without a doubt yeah but they're not beautiful the thing with ghostbusters is like and it's i guess it's true of a lot of films back then they, they were just like regular middle-aged men like they were probably in the late 30s early 40s like yeah receding hairlines you know that that they weren't like you know, whereas if 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 the film was made now from scratch, you know, if someone came up with the idea now in a in a universe where the real where uh, the actual Ghostbusters never existed, and someone came up with the idea, they would all be like these kind of beautifully sculpted like gym bodies, and sort of it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same. But these guys were just like regular Joes, weren't they? Yeah, I, it's hard to think of any comparable actors now. I think Seth Rogen, perhaps. Um, and there's maybe one or two comedy actors who are maybe occupy a similar-ish area yeah, yeah, now, yeah. but there aren't many. Um, I, I don't know if there were at the time back then either, or whether it was just that this film brought them together and that's part of its appeal. Yeah, and I think one of the other things which made it so successful was the the kind of almost the branding. You know, you had like the logo and the song, and they were two. I mean, the song is... is I. I reckon as many people know the song as have actually seen the film, but they know it, you know, as a recognizable piece of music. When that comes on, people know exactly, just like the Indiana Jones um, music or the Star Wars music, you know, people instantly know what that means, almost to a point where, you know, it's used in parody in other films or TV programs where the, the Ghostbusters music comes on denoting that there's something ghostbusty going on. Yeah, uh, everyone knows what that means, and there's the same with like the parodies of the of the logo. You know, when you get like a pest control place that will have like a a rat inside the sign or whatever. You know, similar. 
Yeah, and I think that it's difficult to imagine it now, 40 years on or whatever we are, how original the idea was as well. Because obviously there'd been the ideas of you know, spirits and hauntings and, and ridding places of them, like in The Exorcist and you know, countless other horror movies that had been. But these were basically, like you say, kind of exterminator-type people with nuclear technology yeah. who were using basically what was a science fiction premise to trap and contain ghosts, which now we kind of take for granted, a bit like how we take for granted, you know, that a time machine could be made into a DeLorean or whatever, yeah. you know. But, I mean, I think that Ghostbusters was just an incredibly original idea. There, there was nothing really like that before Ghostbusters, and there hasn't been much since that that sort of had that sort of level of... um you know, I, I think sort of the way it fused comedy, science fiction, horror, yeah. romance, as well as having the improvisational edge, which the Saturday Night Live guys brought to it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very bold in that respect, wasn't it? In terms of like the subject matter as well, you know, like it, it, it went to some pretty dark places that, you know, that, that you'd normally get in a horror film, but in a massive blockbuster comedy. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the appeal. I think there's something in it for everyone, isn't there? I don't know whether now to talk about sort of the exclusion of Winston from the main sort of three core. I mean, yeah, he was he, he was added, wasn't he? Later in the first film, certainly he was just a, a sort of a workman, wasn't he? he was just kind of yeah. They, they 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 had him as a much bigger scripted character when he was going to be played by. Uh, I think they'd originally written him for Eddie Murphy, yeah. and they had the idea that he'd be a wisecracking comedian yeah. like the rest of them. And then I think. Um, only Hudson auditioned, and then when they got the script to him just before shooting, they'd basically abbreviated his part and given all the good lines to Venkman, who, yeah. uh, you know, to, who, which Bill Murray probably didn't say those lines anyway. You know, he probably said something completely different and off script to start yeah. with. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, with the exclusion of Winston, I think it is important in a uh, in a group that there is that, that there are kind of almost people who are less forthright and less in the spotlight you know he, he was an important part of the group in terms of he, he kind of brought like a grounding to it uh and every man sort of grounding that that some of the others with their highfalutin academic ideas maybe didn't have yeah and it gives you perhaps a lens through which to see the ghostbusters from like an everyman perspective yeah you know, uh, someone who comes to it new. I mean, he doesn't come into the film till over halfway through. No. You know, that's when he, he goes for the job interview. When they start getting um, a bit, bit more, when they need a bit of help. Yeah. And I, I I mean, one of the things I think which really makes the Winston Zedmore character is Ernie Hudson's like, incredible performance. Yeah. Because the heart that he gives lines like, which could have been throwaway lines, like, I love this town, or uh, the bit about I'm only doing this for the money yeah. and that kind of thing. He gives it such heart and character 
Yeah. That he really, really, really sells it in a way that I don't think a lot of actors could have done. Um, uh, it's just a really, really good performance. And I watched the film uh, the, last week when I was researching for this episode, and that was one of the things that really struck me was how much the film changes when Winston comes into it and when Ernie Hudson's character, obviously with everything he brings to that character, not just the sort of physicality, but also, I mean, I don't know how to say it other than just the heart that he brings yeah. to, to the movie, which is really, really good. Um, and even in the second film, like where does he go to during the courtroom scene? Yeah, he's not. It's almost like he's just a. Um, I mean, it was probably something as simple as he wasn't available on the day they were filming. But well, I, I read about it, and Ernie Hudson says he doesn't know why he wasn't there. <laughs> like he, they just he just disappears for that bit, which is very weird because they keep that core group, and a lot of the posters exclude Winston's character as well, don't they? For Ghostbusters two or Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters one, right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, I don't know, I don't know. But he's also um, the only uh, character or the only actor in there which has a bona fide connection to Twin Peaks as well, because he was in the Return. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's a magical character for a lot of reasons. Yeah. But a lot of his lines, like we were saying, went to Venkman, and Venkman is probably the standout character of the whole thing isn't he he's the one that i think that the studios were banking on you know bill murray's performance as venkman to carry the movie a bit yeah i mean he's he's again he's a bit more uh i think he's almost a bit more relatable or at least uh, he's like ray and egon are both like incredibly nerdy like you've got like a spectrum of like nerdiness and and <laughs> yeah Spengler, Egon Spengler's on one side and then Ray's a bit more down to earth. He's not quite as weird as Egon. Then you've got Venkman who's like incredibly charming but still has a bit of a background in science and stuff. And then you've got Winston who's just like a guy. Yeah, he's just a man. <laughs> he's just a, a normal man, an innocent man. Yeah. I watched a few bits of the uh, of the real Ghostbusters actually just to sort of remind myself because I did watch that a lot. That was a big thing yeah, for me, me. um it's funny what they've done to the characters because they've made egon's like this kind of they've kind of made him look really handsome and like <laughs> yeah. with that kind of weird like sort of bouffant hair and like them sort of really full lips and they're all yeah, like square jaw yeah they're all like really ripped apart from ray who's like really fat but then apparently they got ray there's an episode where ray like has to go to the gym and, he, and they, they slimmed they actually <laughs> slimmed down the character so i don't know i don't know why they did that um and and then Venkman's a lot more like more he's like a more exaggerated version of the film. Venkman, you know, he's really really sleazy and like, you know. Yeah, I mean that's that's the problematic thing I think with the Venkman character, isn't it? Because yeah, whilst whilst he has he ends up having like a lot of heart as well, and obviously at the end of the film you know, he, he's prepared to sacrifice himself to try to get Dana back and, and that yeah. kind of thing. Um, a, a lot of what he does is very, very wrong, I think. <laughs> it's not aged well, I, has it? <laughs> no, I, 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 don't like, I don't like the idea of, of taking films out of the context of their time and then, and then examining them under the lens of the modern day because it doesn't always work like that. You know, you, you can't always do no. that. But there's some things where I think that you have to say that this sh shouldn't probably have been except well let's take an example okay so the first time he goes to dana barrett's apartment right he goes yeah. there under false pretenses like he doesn't know what he's doing he has a load of equipment with him that he doesn't know how it works 
he snoops around her apartment you know, while he's, she clearly wants him to go. Then he spontaneously <laughs> declares his love for her yeah. and then refuses to leave. Yeah, this is this is yeah, not good behavior. It also, he one it doesn't he have some sedatives in his bag as well, or is that that's the next time he goes to the apartment? That's later. He, yeah, he, yeah, he's got he, he thorazine in his bag. He just happens to have some kind of sedative with him. Now, he's not a medical doctor. Do you know what I'm saying? No. Uh, it, yeah, it's questionable whether he's any kind of doctor. He, he says he's a no. doctor of psychology and parapsychology, but um, the other guy was supposed to say that he never studied. Yeah. Some like unofficial canon that I'd I'd read, and I, I couldn't find it again when I was researching. I'd read it years and years ago. Was that basically Ray was Venkman's friend from when they were younger? Yeah, and and Venkman met Spengler at university, and Spengler basically got him through university. Uh, it make kind of makes sense. Yeah. There's, there's clearly like it. It is canon that Venkman introduced Stans to Spengler, right? Because okay. I think that was in in part of one of the scripts that never got through, where yeah. where basically um, Venkman's saying that he needs to get some of the credit for all the machinery because he brought the Spengler two. and Stans right, together. Okay, um, but I think one of the other things that makes Venkman problematic as a character is that he's played by Bill Murray who has for the last decade really been dogged by accusations of quite bad things really like Behaving bullying like Peter Venkman. a lot like that yeah straddling uh, women on set kissing women yeah. who don't want to be kissed on set Licking uh, bullying arms. female cast members um he, he's the thing is that he always was the, the thing is that now we're more connected with the internet and stuff but when you start to read stories that come out they, they it, it was just taken with a bit more humor when he was a mega mega star, wasn't it? When he was the Murricane, you know. Yeah. I, apparently, the first time he ever met Sigourney Weaver, he just picked her up and threw her over his shoulder and walked down the street with her on his shoulder, which yeah. is quite a weird thing to do, isn't it? And yeah. she took it in good light, and it, she even speaks for it. Now, the thing is that I think which is important is that Bill Murray is quite a big guy. You don't always get that from Ghostbusters, but he's well over six foot. Right, okay. um, he's, he's quite a big guy the thing is that Sigourney Weaver is also six foot so she is Venkman's or Dana Barrett is Venkman's equal mentally well she's superior to him mentally and physically yeah. um, you know so and physically she's basically his equal so it doesn't seem that bad when you're watching Ghostbusters you don't really get the feeling that she's intimidated by him at all yeah, like you she's... might have done She's not a particularly vulnerable character, is she? No, she's not. She's very um, like strong woman. And she, I mean, she's a fantastic character as well. I've got to say, the performance that Sigourney Weaver gives as Dana Barrett is absolutely incredible. Yeah, that was not- another thing that absolutely stood out when I watched it again. Is she's so good? Like the way that she changes. Um, her, it was her idea that Dana got possessed by the dogs. Yeah, I remember um, reading that. Yeah, and and the way that her character changes throughout the film, um, and then and then the way that she portrays Dana when Zul is possessing her, and when she plays Dana at the beginning, I just think it's it's really really like it's really great, and they do have definite chemistry, Venkman and and Dana or, or Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver. Um, it's, it's a really really um, good matching on screen but there is that sort of creepy undertone like you say you know with he goes around and then he sedates her but if he sedated her he must have had those drugs with him when he didn't know that she was going to be possessed when he turned up at her yeah. apartment I mean, very very dodgy i think um one of the things one of the many things i liked about ghostbusters afterlife was the fact that in the uh, end credits scene they fully acknowledged 
Bill Murray, uh, not Bill Murray, they, they fully acknowledged uh, Peter Venkman being problematic. Yeah. I mean, Afterlife is, is, was a really, really good movie. I enjoyed and, um, I liked the way that they based it around Spengler so much. It was fantastic. Uh, it was, it was yeah. uh, like you told me to watch it and I'd previously I'd not really thought, uh, not really considered watching it because I generally don't like reboots of films that I liked when I was a kid because fuck you, leave them alone. Um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull being a, a, a great example. Um, but yeah, I watched this on your recommendation and I absolutely loved it. And I watched it with my partner who's not really familiar with the Ghostbusters, certainly nowhere near as familiar as, as we are with the original film. And she loved it as well, even though she, she, it, it worked as a standalone film without all the history. It worked well as a good sort of modern, fairly funny, but fairly sort of creepy horror film as well yeah. as being um you know but but the likes of us watch it and we're there picking up on all the little references to Evo Shandor and Goza worship and stuff like we we notice all that stuff but it was interesting watching it with someone who didn't notice all that stuff but still thought it was a really good film because it was I mean it was I, I feel like without Stranger Things that wouldn't have existed I feel yeah. like it was you could tell it was they they thought right you know, we influence Stranger Things to begin with. Now, Stranger Things will influence us. And, you know, because Stranger Things wouldn't have existed without Ghostbusters. But now it kind of came full circle. And I, I feel it had that same feeling of Stranger Things, that same feeling of where they get a really good balance of like the creepy dark stuff. But then uh, it's got like that, like you say, like the heart and the kind of, um, I, I guess, because there was some like, uh, child characters in it you know one of whom was in stranger things um yeah you know that kind of really uh that kind of really gave it the stranger things vibe but it, it just had that thing that feeling of being like a film that you watch when you were a kid uh yeah i think that what gave it so much heart was the genius idea was the way that they didn't sweep the death of harold ramis under the rug no you know it wasn't like oh where's Egon sort of thing the whole film was based around where's, where's Egon where's Egon yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah very good very good and I think that was really what gave it its strength and it, that's what made it so emotional as well I mean my partner we saw it at the cinema and she was yeah. just crying you know and and I was very close to crying as well um I think I think uh, if I had been crying there would definitely have been tears of joy um, yeah just watching that film, particularly the end scene, because it's it's so, so good. But when they brought Harold Ramis on to help rewrite the original Ghostbusters, he wasn't going to be Egon Spengler. He right. kind of fell in love with the character as they wrote it. So they considered Jeff Goldblum, who I, I can kind of see. Yeah. You know, he's, yeah. he's got that Although nerd, I think he's a bit more Venkman, really. Yeah, it depends which Gold, Goldblum you're getting. Yeah, uh, because you could imagine him being a bit more like you know the gold bloom that's in Independence Day. Yeah, but even so, he's a bit like he's got a bit of that like he's a bit smoother easiness. Yeah, whereas Egon's yeah. Then they, they considered Christopher Lloyd. I can't see that no, myself. I can only yeah. see him as the Doc, really. Yeah, yeah. and get this one. They considered Christopher Walken. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That would have been Dark Egon. The the dark. That timeline. would have been something else, wouldn't it? Imagine that. You don't have oh my god, imagine imagine I can't even oh god, this is really can you imagine what our lives would have been like if we'd have been subject to Christopher Walken at the age imagine of Imagine if we'd been playing with toys of Christopher Walken as seven year olds. Uh, oh god. 
And whoever made that call to not have Christopher Walken, like, if if you think the but, world's bad now, imagine what it would have been like if. I know, but as 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 Ramis wrote um, Spengler's character, he fell in love with him, and and he basically sort of they became one he put more and more of himself into that character but um it was him who wrote it with with uh dan Aykroyd. um and i'm really like the history of where he came from is quite like interesting i won't go into it too deeply but basically Aykroyd came up with the idea when he was in a haunted barn at uh, an estate that his family owned and his great great grandfather his great-grandfather dan Aykroyd's great-grandfather was sam Aykroyd, who was a famous spiritualist researcher Right. Um, then his dad, no, his granddad was one of the first people who experimented with EVP. So he's one of the first people who claimed to have caught ghost voices on the radio. And then his dad, uh, Peter Aykroyd, wrote a book called A History of Ghosts. So the whole thing is like deeply ingrained. And Dan Aykroyd is definitely a believer in ghosts and spirits. Yeah. And I think a lot of everything that's factual that comes from Ghostbusters, all the bits that are based on real life hauntings, um, all the bits of you know, little bits of information and long explanations yeah. and that sort of thing all come from his general love of the subject. And that's one of the things is that it's all treated um, lovingly, isn't it? You know, the, the, the people who believe in ghosts are the good guys. The people who don't believe in ghosts are the bad guys. Yeah. I mean, you can tell like from, you know, like researching this episode and looking into it, it, it actually, um, it actually surprised me how much more, um, you know how much based on real stories and things uh, it is. You know how much kind of background it obviously they'd obviously done research and looked into a number of different things. It wasn't just you know making it up as they went along. Yeah, and when when the idea was first conceived, it was something much crazier. Like they were they, they were in space and they went through dimensions and yeah. they were employed by Evo Shandor to collect ghosts and they had rival teams of ghostbusters but it was ivan reitman i think who brought it down to earth and that i think is what gives it its character because i think that the film being set in new york city it gives it so much you know new york is such a part of that those first two movies wasn't it originally called it it had a different name didn't it it was called like ghost smashers ghost smashers yeah they didn't even come up with the, the name did they? they they had to license it from um another As, sitcom yeah they, and they only got it at the very last minute didn't they so they had to yeah. they had to film like the the bits where everyone chants Ghostbusters, like they weren't able to film that when they wanted to because they weren't confirmed that it was called Ghostbusters. And the original uh, poster just had the symbol on, yeah, because they couldn't put the name on because they hadn't licensed it, <laughs> which is why the that symbol became so iconic. Yeah, because it became on it started instead of just being on the building and the car and the suits, it was on all the media. Uh, yeah. from, a, from from the very beginning, from the teasers, because that they didn't have a name for it. What really struck me is how much I enjoyed watching the special effects. Yeah, they're great. When I rewatched it, absolutely incredible. I I, I wondered, like, for me, whether that was the zenith of practical special effects because that was what 1984 then by 1985 you had young sherlock holmes which had the first ever computer generated uh character in it when when that knight jumps out of the window and it's made of glass 
that was that was pure computer animation. That was the first time it had been done. And then from there, like 1989, you had The Abyss. 1991, you had Terminator 2. And then 1993, you had Jurassic Park. And then it was over for practical special effects. Uh, but Ghostbusters had that point where they they there's I couldn't criticize the effects in that movie. They look real. One of the things which um which shows you how good they are is that you can tell that the uh the special effects on Afterlife were based on that were made to look the same, weren't they? Like they yeah. they and they they did look great, but obviously they they um they'd not tried to change them whereas often on reboots and you know things like that remakes they redo the special effects it looks terrible uh or it looks too kind of too good almost and it's i don't know one of the things that made afterlife so good was that they kept the effects looking almost identical to the original which shows you you know the new filmmakers were like no it's you know why fix it if it's not broken it looks yeah yeah and they kept the music as well yeah, yeah, it was the same the musical cues, wasn't it? But just yeah, like, yeah, I love that music. It was Elmer Bernstein who wrote that, who had been a composer. I think he did the Magnificent Seven. You know, he'd been really yeah, yeah. ingrained in Hollywood. Um, I was telling you this a while ago, I think, but he was in the McCarthy witch trials. You know, he he was yeah. basically he was blacklisted because he, he'd written some music reviews for a communist magazine and then he refused to name names. So he got blacklisted and he ended up doing like really, really cheap B movies yeah. um, until John Landis met him through his kids and then, and then basically got him to do animal house and then, and then he started building up and by then, and then he did airplane and he's got ghostbusters, blues brothers. He, he kind of got back on top again, but it's just weird that the, I mean that a guy who, he was doing that, you know, like the history of it all, you know, going, going back, you know, like he was like a, he was proper establishment composer who was doing the music and it's beautiful. Yeah, really, it's really, really, the score is absolutely fantastic. It's got a real character to it and it's got like, um, you can almost hear the, the elements of the film. You can hear that it's a bit creepy, but it's also quite quirky and funny, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's he good. used one of those, um, I, I've got it written down because I, I, I can picture it, but I can't pronounce it. You might be able to do a better job than me. It was a Anandes Martineau. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, like the weird sort of, ther- that gives the theremin sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's like, that's got that cool, because it can go from comedy to spooky to sci-fi yeah. in, with one instrument, which is, um, I, I really, really love the way that that film sounds. I, I listened last night as I was making notes uh, for, like getting all my notes together for this episode to the entire score. Um, and it's just so good. It, it's yeah. really like, like you said, all the cues are there. Um, it, it sounds classic, but it sounds modern. It's just a really, really well scored movie. But this, the actual songs that are in it are great as well. You know, yeah, like yeah. you said about Ghostbusters, which actually, um, so Ray Parker Jr. ripped off the riff for the Ghostbusters theme from I Want a New Drug by Huey Lewis, which they had used when they were doing the initial rushes of the film yeah. as background music to the montages. That happens a lot in film production. That is... Yeah, they, yeah. They, the temp, they have a temp track and then they get someone to recreate it. For exactly, but no one ever admitted it. And it's not even a passing... Like, he ripped off the riff and the melody. Yeah. And, and and basically, they went through about 60 different iterations of it, getting loads of different people to do it, including they asked Huey Lewis to do it. Right. But he couldn't because he was doing Back to the Future. And um, and then they settled on 
Ray Parker Jr.'s one, which was just a ripoff of it. And then Huey Lewis sued them. <laughs> they, they paid him five million as an out of court settlement, which they never spoke about until Huey Lewis started blabbing about it um, in, I think, 2001. And then Paramount then sued him for talking about it. It was like one of those things like quit up. And then, and then apparently Ray Parker Jr. says, like, he's never met Huey Lewis. He never went to court. You know, it's just he considers himself to have written that song. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it seems like a massive that, coincidence. But like other things, like that song that I keep playing whenever we're driving somewhere in the car, is it Mick Smiley, Magic? Yeah, yeah. That, I love that. And has then, he done any other music at all? I've never heard I, of it. He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Yeah, it's but just that, that song guy, is incredible. It? It's so, so 80s. And the way that it changes in the middle to become a completely different song, that's the song that plays when the ghosts are let out of the containment yeah, unit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, I, can, I, can, I can see in my head when I, when I kind of think of that song and think of the magic, magic, magic thing. I can see in my head that beautiful shot with the with the top of the building with all of the the sort of pink pinky orange kind of ghostly spume coming out of it and it's like it's a like it's evening isn't it and it's just like ah oh, it is magic that scene as well also the um sound design is incredible yeah you know all the creaking of the buildings and the way it explodes i read that uh ecto 1 siren is actually a leopard's roar which has been manipulated till wow. it becomes a siren. Like so, it, the, the guy who did it was a bit of a maverick. He was called Richard Beggs. He'd done the sound for Apocalypse Now, right. um, and he did loads and loads of weird stuff because the, the idea that things that we just take for granted, like the way that the proton packs sound a bit liquidy, yeah, you know, like they're squirting something. That all yeah. comes from the sound design. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so, I, I think it's cues, isn't it, that just make you think things in a slightly different way. And this is before digital manipulation as well yeah. so he was doing all that weird stuff basically in a room on his own uh whilst he was watching the movie you know and just like going over and over again and trying all this stuff you had no way to repeat the sounds he was getting so basically he just had to record loads and loads of different banks of each sound he was doing and just give them to the director and say here you go this is what you've got to work with So a, a lot of what we're discussing is just like really kind of fondly reciting trivia to each other, which I think people can, there's so much information out there. I'll put loads of links in the show notes. I've re- I've read, since we decided to do, to do this episode, I've read a couple of really, really good books about it, which I'll link to the visual history of Ghostbusters, the oral history of Ghostbusters. I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure researching this episode. Uh, and there's websites, countless websites, there's Spook Central you can go to, there's Twitter accounts you can follow. I'll link to a few of those in the show notes as well. Um, but I think it's more kind of interesting really to explore what Ghostbusters has sort of meant to us and what kind of ideas come from repeated viewing of a film like that for 40 years. Yeah, I think one of the things that we perhaps need to do is almost what, or certainly what I've done, <laughs> is um, <laughs> is what we, um, how we kind of view Ghostbusters now through a sort of vase filter in terms of given the reading and watching and listening we've done in the last six months, what, um, how do we view Ghostbusters differently? 
Yeah, Vasify. Vasify it, you know. Um, and there's a few things that I've noticed um, about it, which I just didn't pick up on even like for a long time. And then just this time, this recent time I've watched it, post-Vase a couple of weeks ago, it's just, oh yeah, that's glaringly obvious now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I I I've gone down a few rabbit holes I bet you while have. I've been researching this. Um but go on, you show me yours and I'll show you mine. Okay, so one of the first things I noticed was you've got this cult that are worshipping a mouldy Babylonian god. Sumerian, not Babylonian. Ah, okay. Uh operating in the nineteen twenties. Um and I guess to me, kind of that era and the whole the fact that it's the Sumerian god thing links up to Lovecraft. And yeah. the fact that you've got kind of Gozer is essentially this like extra dimensional being, um, the whole idea of like a gatekeeper and a key master, the whole idea of there being like a building and the architecture of the building was, you know, uh, important and, and somehow created this this channel and this, you know, this this area in which the, the, the ritual could take place. Um Basically, I, I got the uh, the Necronomicon book, which is the Simon's Necronomicon. Simon's Necronomicon. Yeah, and I was looking at that, and there's like a whole load of stuff about Sumerian gods, and then the the links. To, the, <laughs> there's almost like a, a a little chart of like like a lexicon. Yeah, so it's got like the Lovecraft word, then the Crowley word, and then the Sumerian word, and so it's almost as if Lovecraft and Crowley were both getting stuff from Sumerian legends, and it seems that Ghostbusters has gone down a similar route so like the necronomicon was 1977 so that was like uh what seven years prior to ghostbusters but then you also had like the exorcist which had pazuzu which is uh yeah was from that mesopotamian region and evil dead also uh that was 1981 that that referenced uh that had the necronomicon as a sort of quite yeah, a different the necronomicon ex mortis roughly translated book of the dead yeah um so yeah it's it, it's it's just interesting how the, it had that that lovecraft element to it and i didn't really think of it as a lovecrafty film before I think- no it's weird now because now now we're talking about it and thinking about it the whole idea of the sumerian god the cults the the worshippers the whole thing about creating the temple on the rooftop yeah it, it kind of comes out of left field in the even in the film yeah it's not it's not i mean that's that kind of I'll go into this more on my uh, on my next idea, but it's like it's not very ghosty, is it? No, it's not a ghost. That like, that's not a... no, no. Well, that's something. I mean, I mean, for one thing, yeah. So, so they're essentially godbusters at the end, yeah. aren't they? And um, I was wondering, sort of, you know, is there was there a link? Did Har- was Harold Ramis into Lovecraft, or was that you know? But there was actually a, a, and there's no, there's no nowhere that I know of that it's explicitly mentioned that um any of the writers were you know have said oh yeah we we're influenced by lovecraft but there is i mean and not just lovecraft but also the the you know other things from that kind of area where 
Lovecraft meets Crowley in the kind of Kenneth Grant tradition of, of yeah, you know, yeah. where he was applying Lovecraft stuff to Crowley and magic and, and vice versa. And But there was actually a, um, so there was a, an episode of the real Ghostbusters called The Collect Call of Cthulhu. Uh, in which, so the the New York Library is displaying the Necronomicon for a week, but then uh, it gets stolen by this Cthulhu cult who use it to raise Cthulhu. Like in the like they 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 live down in the sewers and they like raise Cthulhu in the um, oh, nice. in the like in the bay, and the Ghostbusters have <laughs> to have to defeat him. And uh, Egon says that. Um, like Winston says something like, you know, Cthulhu, I've heard of him before. And Egon's like, he makes uh, Goza look like little Mary Sunshine. <laughs> but yeah, there's... And there's you wouldn't say that to her face though, would you? No, but that that episode's got loads of references to like, um, you know, Miskatonic University and uh, like Lovecraft beings, like a Shugoth and stuff like that. And like all of the characters are named like after, you know, the, they're all named after like, either other writers in the Lovecraftian tradition or like Lovecraft, Lovecrafty kind of things. Yeah. Now that you sort of mention it, when you see at the very end, the top of Dana Barrett's apartment, you know, Spook Central. Yeah. There's loads of weird imagery and symbols, particularly on the doors that open to let yeah. Goza through. And it does get a bit, you know, Lovecraftian. It does get a bit, ancient dark magic yeah. at that point it's very different isn't it when you think about it tonally the way that the film goes you know they, they go from you know busting a ghost in a hotel busting a host in a library yeah yeah you know they, they, they go around and have those sort of montages to basically standing at the gates of hell aren't they you know or, or the gates to another dimension with a, a god in front of them and you know that they're being told i mean uh goes of the traveler goes of the destructor you know like yeah all, all these sort of almost like grimoire type uh pantheons yeah <laughs> that sort of thing uh, it kind of comes into it what zool and vince clotho do is basically a sex ritual isn't it it's basically a sex ah, magic yeah, ritual on the roof because it, it that's interesting yeah it doesn't show it it's not explicitly shown but it's heavily implied that the two have to get together yeah, and then they kind of right up crowley street isn't it they disappear behind that kind of rubble or column or whatever yeah. i mean it's pretty explicit isn't it i mean when they you know, she, like she wraps her legs around him and stuff i bet it wasn't explicit um, in the version you got off telly though no no no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i hadn't thought about that because that's really a Crowley Street and, and Kenneth Grant's yeah I mean that that's um, like you say you know the, the sex magic rituals and that sort of thing that's yeah. the Starfire the Star Sapphire isn't it yeah yeah that was a sex magic ritual and yeah I think um, I suppose like I mean it's not thoroughly Lovecraftian I think one of the things that separates it from being sort of a true Lovecraftian film is is obviously the humour but then also you've got the positivity of it because I think that the, the one of the kind of ultimate messages of Ghostbusters is a lot more about um, friendship and uh, yeah, you know, and sort of um, human positivity and and you know if you think about even like the end of um, of Ghostbusters two when they sing Old Lang Syne and it breaks through the yeah. shell of the slime you know and it's like the the whole idea of like of companionship and 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 um, you know in Lovecraft the the beings are completely like apathetic they don't have some kind of mission that they just don't give a shit about humanity we're just nothing to them like we're like the buzzing of flies 
to them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's a very, very bleak when you think about that sort of on a... on a. Um, yeah, I mean, the good guys don't win in Lovecraft, do they? It's really annoying because I thought of this and thought it's going to be a really good one to bring to Hein for the podcast and he's going to be like, oh yeah, I never thought of that. And then fucking Greg Newkirk tweeted it yesterday and I was like, damn you, Greg, why are you so perfect? He's always one step ahead. Exactly. So my thought was, they're not really ghosts at all, are they? I mean, aside from the perhaps the first um, ghost in the library, which is pretty ghosty, most of the ghosts that we see in the first film and in uh, certainly in the real Ghostbusters from what I remember of it are a lot more like extra dimensional entities ultra dimensional entities they're not they don't behave like ghosts they are brightly coloured they do weird shit and I mean Ghost of the Ghost Area is explicitly an extra dimensional entity Um, the fact that she or he or it changes I'm not sure what Ghost of the Ghost Area's pronouns are but it's whatever it wants to exactly be. they they change their form depending on what is chosen which harks back to me to the idea of the the feedback loop and the idea of you know with um within ufology you know the 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 beings that people see have some or, or within you know fairy tales and just everything we discussed in the ultra terrestrial episode basically the fact that it's yeah. related to our culture it's related it comes through that lens and that's you know again that's not a ghost thing is it that's pure ultra terrestrial hypothesis yeah um, that's john keel's life isn't it exactly um i mean the the apparently in one draft of the film goes it was going to take the form of i quote a swirling psychic maelstrom topped by a disembodied aphid's head of monstrous proportions so you know um and i noticed that the you know the cave uh in uh ghostbusters afterlife so there's a bit where they go into that cave there's all the dates on the wall of the times when gozer could possibly come back and one of the dates yeah. was 1945 which was a big year in ufology because that was um well the first uh atom atomic detonation test at white sands uh, and then very shortly after that, the UFO crash at Trinity, uh, Trinity, New Mexico. Jacques Vallée's written a book about that, you know. So there's just there's just a few of these these little kind of yeah. things which which, and I did notice as well from reading the Necronomicon that um, the Sumerian word for evil uh, is Zul. I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, it's X U L. I uh, okay. I would pronounce that Zul. So. Yeah, I I suppose in Ghostbusters Afterlife as well, like you were saying, they go into the cave and there's the abandoned mines Mm. and the idea that someone was buying up the mines as well. Yeah. You've got creatures in mines in the middle of America. It's very Penny Royal, isn't it? Yeah, and I think think it's a little bit more than a tenuous link. I think that both both the Lovecraft thing and the ultra-terrestrial thing are kind of, are there somewhere in the DNA of Ghostbusters and that makes me like it more. Yeah, yeah, because 
I think that they tried to graft on some backstory about Slimer having lived somewhere, didn't they? Like in the hotel or something. Yeah, or, yeah. But I, it's it's not really. He's not a very humanoid creature, is he? I mean, he was based on uh, John Belushi, wasn't he? Yeah. But he doesn't really look like it. <laughs> he's, he's some weird blob, really, isn't he? Of ectoplasm that sort of floats around. Yeah, I um, and if you look at a lot of the 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 you know quote unquote ghosts in um that you see in the first in the in the the film i mean ghostbusters 2 is not quite the same because you mainly have just one big bad don't you really yeah um that's kind of a bit more traditionally ghosty really but then in 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 the first film a lot of the things that you see are these weird blobs and stuff and certainly in in um in the real Ghostbusters, you had all sorts of... They just dealt with everything, didn't they? Like, yeah. th- there was one where there was a dinosaur. Uh, there was one where there was a UFO buried under the ground. You know, they just... they just Anything a bit weird, they dealt with. Um, and, yeah, I think it's uh, it, it's interesting watching it from a, uh, you know, age 40, uh, 2022 point of view and seeing all this stuff and just thinking, oh, yes, I understand this. It's interesting when you when you say it that there's no real similarities between the ghosts, is there? No. Yeah, the library <laughs> ghost is completely different to Slimer, which is different than the subway ghost, which is different than the taxi ghost. They're both different to Goza. They're both different to the terror dogs. There's, there's so little similarity running through them. You'd think that if, if the ghosts were one thing rather than being an ultra-terrestrial you know, manifestation of something that there would be some similarities. You know, if they were, for example, the spirits of dead people, that they'd be more maybe like the library ghost is before she freaks out. Yeah. I mean, you wonder though, like how much of that is an aesthetic choice, as in we need to make the film varied and cool. And the yeah. same with the same with the cartoon a, a lot more, I guess. You know, we need to make it, you can't just have every ghost being like a person because it'll visually not look that exciting for kids. And they've got to sell toys. Well, yes, and I certainly, well, my parents certainly bought them for me. Um, that I had brilliant that one. Christmas, I think, when yeah. um, I think a lot of us had it. We were lucky enough to get the Ghostbusters HQ. Oh, I never had the HQ. I had, I had Granny oh, Gross. You, you pressed oh, the back you? and like the head spun round. But um, You had a was, gun, though, didn't you? I had the gun. We'll post a picture yeah. of that on the Instagram. I had the gun uh, with the poppers, not the original gun. But the one of the things, though, I thought was... Um, there is something which ties all the ghosts together and that's ectoplasm. I'm dying to hear your what you've got to bring to the table tonight. <laughs> well, really, my my observation. Strap in, listeners. I, I've I've gone down a, a very odd uh, rabbit hole, which isn't very vase as it turns out. 
but right. I'm, I'm going to tell you anyway because otherwise we'd just have to end now because this is basically what I spent the last two weeks doing. Um, and it came off an offhanded comment that you made to me ages ago about, uh, I mean, like, well, when I say ages ago, it wasn't when we were kids. It was within the last couple of years, probably around COVID time, about Ghostbusters being basically a representation of the capitalist dream. Yeah. So I started having a look into that. Um, and um, that actually runs really, really deep yeah through through the dna of ghostbusters in a way that i hadn't seen but once you have seen it's very very obvious so i i want to like say because i'm going to say some bad things about ghostbusters <laughs> over the next few minutes and i want to say that i'm really just playing devil's advocate you know I, this comes from a place of love you know this is like <laughs> ghostbusters is like my family you know and i i can say bad things about it <laughs> like if anyone else bad mouths ghostbusters yeah. but I, I i do a few things i need to get off my chest about ghostbusters so Historical context, it's 1984. You're Reagan-era America. You're Thatcherite Britain, right? So what occurred to me looking through some of these theories and, and seeing how they described it is that Ghostbusters is actually like a neoliberalist dream, like an absolute sort of neoliberal fairy tale. Um, so... I'm not going to give like a political or economical lecture, but like just to explain neoliberalism as I understand it, and I'm and I'm not an economist, obviously, uh, or or in any way politically informed. Uh, but um, if you'll bear with me whilst I talk about neoliberalism for a minute, because it's going to have relevance to what I'm going to say. So basically, if you imagine capitalism as being the hardware, neoliberalism is the uh, you know, the operating system that we're using at the moment. So c capitalism can exist independently of neoliberalism. Yeah, and you can have other forms of capitalism like uh, uh, Keynesianism um, or um, state capitalism like they have in China, you know, or, or slightly more socialist versions of capitalism that you have uh, in, in Scandinavia and that sort of thing. But mainly Western capitalism since the 80s and the period where Ghostbusters was set and made neoliberal capitalism has really boomed and it was boom time in america when ghostbusters was released um so what we have what is neoliberalism is free market capitalism so basically neoliberalism the idea of neoliberalism treats everything including human beings and the way that human beings interact with each other as being subject to the principles of the free market, right? So it's the economization of all features of life, basically. So they have complete faith in the market, right? It's market fundamentalism. Um, you, you end up prior prioritizing like economic indicators over social factors, which is where we are in this country at the moment. You know, we're at which I hope is somewhere close to the end times of neoliberalism, because at the moment, it's particularly in this country, it's only economic factors which are being considered at all. You know, there's no regard for social factors or how economic factors could be leading the country astray. So what you have is this never-ending growth. You know, everything has to grow. Everything has to be more. Everyone has to generate wealth. You know, there has to be more and more every year. You know, 
all, all, all you have is this one fucking hammer, you know, and, and everything is a nail, you know, this is, this is capitalism kind of writ large. And the way that I've analyzed neoliberalism to, to, to look at Ghostbusters is basically in, in, in these basic tenets of neoliberalism, which is one, that markets are uniquely good at organizing society. Okay, so that's the foundational idea of neoliberalism, right? Markets are always right, um, and free markets promote the rhetoric of personal choice. Okay, in a situation where you don't have a market, you should get any institution without that market to behave as if it had a market. You know, we can see that in like the targets of, of new labor and so on, the NHS now, you know, um, it, it, is, it isn't strictly a, you know, governed by the factors of the free market, but it has to be made as if it is because that's the only way that they can organize things when you're stuck in that neoliberalist mindset. So then if you have, if that works, then everyone is in competition with everyone else. And the idea is that that is a good thing. That gives the best possible outcomes. So you get deregulation, you get privatization, you get the limited role of the government. Okay. Um, so the, the, the natural product of that is that those that have wealth are the ones that become in charge. Okay. That they have the private enterprise. The private enterprise knows best. We have to listen to them. We have to respond to their needs. We have to give them the freedom to do what they want to do. And we have to try to learn from them and become like them. Okay. And people must think about themselves purely as individuals, not part of some big community for this to work. So when concentrations of wealth are arrived at by market processes, that is the best possible outcome. So all that said, what happens in Ghostbusters? They start out at a university, right, doing experiments. They're, they're using public funding to enhance the general understanding of the world. You know, they're looking into uh, psychology. They're looking into parapsychology. They're analyzing data. They're looking for ghosts, really. But then as soon as they find them, they, the, the university attacks them. So they leave. The first thing they do is they start business for themselves. I mean, it's what Venkman says, isn't it? You know, for whatever reason, call it fate, call it luck, call it karma. He believes that everything happens for a reason. They have to go into business for themselves. You know, this is the capitalist dream being played out. This is a capitalist fairy tale. You know, this was the, the American dream of the 1980s. They leave the public sector, they join the private sector, and they save the world. So it's it's this sort of Reaganite Technicolor super dream. And, and it completely, like, captures that rise of neoliberal ideology. So how do they fund their ghostbusting enterprise. They, they get a dodgy mortgage on Ray's house, which is the whole thing that, that this neoliberal generation of wealth came from, you know, and we eventually caused inherited. It. Well, but yeah, it's inherited, but then you get this dodgy loans, um, you know, and where do they come from? You know, it comes from massive consumer debt, which is what eventually destabilized the economy at the end, you know, in 2008, you know, and, and, you know, obviously they all learned from that. Yeah. As if, but then, so, 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 so basically the free market changes these nerdy outcast sort of scatterbrained scientists into national and eventually international heroes. Mm -hmm. You know, they, 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 they become the, the, you know, the poster boys for free, free market for, um, enterprise for, for startups, you know, yeah. Ghostbusters is, is a startup, um, they throw off the shackles of the public institutions, institutions to actualize themselves. Yeah, so it's like they're like completely in its spirit. 
So, so like, whereas comedies before this had been more anti-authority, you know, things like Animal House or um, Caddyshack, that's the, this sort of national lampoon going against the man. Ghostbusters is very much the man, you know. Yeah. They, they, they are, and and who are the bad guys? The environmental agency. The environmental yeah. protection agency, right? <laughs> Although that you know, guy is an absolute cunt. No, yeah, Walter Peck. Walter Peck is, is an unmitigated prick, but bureaucrats do tend to be. You know, it's a function of their job, yeah. isn't it? You know, yeah. you can't have the nice guys doing that sort of stuff, right? Government regulation is from the very beginning. You know, from the second Walter Peck walks in, Venkman symbolising uh, free market capitalism, the neo- neoliberalist dream, starts bashing him. You know, for <laughs> everything that he stands for. You know. And when Walter Peck walks in, even though he's a prick, yeah. he, his, his request is fairly... It's fairly reasonable, uh, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But, I he, mean, he goes in and he says, you know, we want to know what you're doing here. I want to see the containment unit. I've heard um, uh, reports of unlicensed nuclear equipment and, and yeah. d- dangerous byproducts. All of that is completely true. They admit themselves that they're... Um, that the proton packs, they're un- unlicensed nuclear accelerators. The, the nuclear you know. weapons, they're carrying nuclear weapons. I think like, <laughs> exactly. they, 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 they must have really struggled. They're like, we need to make Walter Pack like the worst person possible. Yeah, to yeah. Get this and and so they, 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 they're basically saying, fuck the environment, because what we're doing is making a lot of money here <laughs> and we should be allowed to do that. You know, this is America. This is 1984. You know, this is just before the landslide of, of, uh, of Reagan's second term. You know, so so they 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 are making um, the uh, and and I mean like as we've said, Walter Peck is right, and he turns out to be right as well. You know that th- there is a catastrophe. It is caused by this this sort of crazy system of of dealing with a waste product in in an illegal way, which causes it. Um, you know, and 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 basically through this, Venkman's talking about uh, you know like indispensable defense science and, and of the next generation. You know, uh, franchise rights. They move into a fire station, which is an ex-state-owned building, uh, which they make into their sort of corporate headquarters. Um, they get straight into uh, television advertising. Uh, this isn't done from the goodness of their hearts. They're not priests going yeah. around, you know, uh, or shaman, you know, who are moving spirits onto a better place. No, you know, this, 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 they're making money. That they're, they're charging a lot of money for this, you know, and yeah. uh, you know, it's a fucking business. This is yuppie, yuppie era. You know, they're they're cashing in on that. They're becoming part of that. Um, and and Winston buys into this. You know, he yeah. shows up halfway through, sniffing for the money. It's a steady you know? paycheck in that. I believe anything. He's you only say. in it for the money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, he'll believe in anything believe if in the anything. money is correct. That big, that big <laughs> list of things that that Janine gives him, and that's all he's interested in. And and that's this is a weird thing. It's just a side point. But like, is Winston really the only applicant for that job? Because. That's what's kind of implied, isn't it? He just turns up, they take one look at him and say, beautiful, you're hired. Yeah. You know, the, and you think that people would be queuing around the block to be a hero who's making lots of money. Um, and, and that's where this, this thing's a bit weird because do the Ghostbusters have a monopoly? The only thing that I can think is that Spengler has patents on all of the equipment. Yeah, you know, he's and a pretty thorough guy. Yeah, yeah. I think that therefore, I mean, you can't tell me that he's not, you know, patenting and trademarking the Ghostbusters symbol, you know, he's not patenting the proton pack, uh, even the mood slime in the second, all of this stuff is like incredible science yeah. you know, and, and incredible research, you know. Um, he, he's definitely making millions and millions off this. Yeah. 
you know, through through trademarks, through patents, through selling. I mean, all of this has military applications. And, and yet, know? and yet, his his child never saw any of it, did she? No, no. So what what they're doing really is that they are ensuring that no one else can move into their sector. You know, they are the Amazon, they are the Facebook, they are the Google of 1984. You know, they, they, no one else can compete because they don't have the technology to do it. No one else can even get a foothold. this through about this 1980s uh, Republican very conservative thinking. It's like what actually are the ghosts? So you, we've talked about what you said about them being ultra-terrestrials and so on. That's within the world. Yeah. But what do they symbolise? Like what part of the American psyche are we tapping into here? Because if you look at the ghosts are they actually doing any harm? You know yeah. like, so, so the librarian gets scared but she's fine. We see her later and yeah. she's fine. She's just scared. When they meet the library ghost, she's reading books and she asks them to be quiet and Ray attacks her and yeah. she attacks him back and never hurts them. They run out of that building completely unharmed. Yeah, yeah. Slimer has been in the Sedgwick Hotel a lot longer than any other person who is in there at that moment. You know, He's been there from the beginning. All he's doing is eating scraps of food off the trays. Yeah. Again, he doesn't hurt anyone until... Uh, basically, Venkman confronts him with a positron glider. Yeah. At which point he's, he he attacks he becomes, him with a very non... becomes aggressive. Yeah, and, and it's a very like, non-lethal way of attacking someone. You yeah. Know? He slimes him. He's fine afterwards. He feels a bit funky by his own admission. And that's it. You know, None of these ghosts are doing anything, really. <laughs> um, and, and, until, you know, so, so they're harmless. They're not scary to the majority of people. You know, so... What actually are they, you know? Because I think that what they're getting at here is that the ghosts are a representation of the other, you know, whoever the other might be. Yeah, whoever's getting blamed for... Yeah, they're in your hotels, they're in your libraries, they're on your subways, they're driving your taxis, they're eating your food, they're they're molesting your women, which is what happens, you know. it's people from different races or people, whoever the scapegoat of the of the current right-wing government is, is right, going to exactly. be, you know, it's, it's, it's Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. <laughs> yeah, it's, you, know, you know, like, I mean, I, I don't want to hammer on that particular point too aggressively because I don't think that it's mean-spirited in the film itself. I don't think that they are a representation of any one community or race or religion. But I mean, the cover of the Atlantic magazine in the montage says... The politics of the next dimension. Do ghosts have civil rights? Right, that's in the montage. So, so that's actually acknowledged in universe. You know that there is something going on there. You know the disconnect is actually felt so much that it's on the front of Atlantic magazine. And also to remember that what you have in the background at that time as well is the AIDS epidemic, particularly in New York City uh, in the early eighties as well. So all that's going on 
Um, you know, I mean, P- Patient Zero was in the bathhouses of New York in, in, in uh, you know, 81, 82, 83, you know, all, all that sort of thing. But I don't think we need to be specific because I don't think that it is a, a specific metaphor. I think it's a general metaphor, you know. Do you think for... it's an intentional metaphor then? Do you think? I think it's a subconscious metaphor. I don't think that they wrote it intending it. But I think in the same way that I don't think they intended it to be this sort of uh, fantastical neoliberal parable about the greatness of the free market, I don't think that was intended. But I think it was a product of rich people writing something in the 1980s, people who were really on the up writing something. I think it symbolises the hopes and fears of the time. So you think it was, um, yeah, so one of them was like subconsciously what, what a lot of people were thinking. Even, yeah, even like if, the the zeitgeist. Yeah, um, the egregore of capitalism is yeah. embodied in that movie. The egregore of the other is is the is is the evil. And so, what does that make really? Zul, uh, Vince Clortho, Goza, they're, they're they're revolutionaries. Yeah, you know that they're they're, they're they're not uh, evil. They're they're an expression of pushing back. Against some sort of repression, <laughs> and they've, they've, I mean, Zool uh, and uh, sorry, Goza has been around a lot longer than the fucking Ghostbusters and New York City. So is this a Gaia parable? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to stretch the metaphor too thin, but but <laughs> we, we okay. can consider Why all not? this stuff. Why not? The thing is that when they do catch these spirits, these ghosts, these others, when they do catch them, what do they do with them? Put them in jail. <laughs> They incarcerate them, right? Yeah. This, this, like I was saying earlier, this isn't a pleasant, this isn't a, um, a a challenge in the way that the Catholic Church does in The Exorcist, you know, yeah. of, uh, of of something that's sort of come into our world making a terrible mess of itself and they're cleaning it up. And this isn't a, a shamanistic way of bringing peace to these spirits that may be caught, right? They actually say that they capture them and keep them they have the potential to capture them and keep them there indefinitely. Yeah. And the original script, this is how they describe the containment unit. Because in the original script, you've got to, there was a window in the containment unit so you could look inside. Yeah. This is what the original script said. It's a bleak repository for lost souls of many species. Strange lights, mists, spectral shapes waft about aimlessly. It's a sad and frightening limbo and a most unholy makeshift asylum. Oh, it's horrible. It chills you to the bone in that context. Now, I've just read um, the biography of Damien Eccles. That sounds like death row to me. Jesus Christ, man. I don't know if I can watch Ghostbusters again. I think we might have to to can this episode and just never speak of it again. It it might be too potent for people. (laughs) It might get the next Ghostbusters sequel uh, cancelled. Dropping truth bombs left, right and centre. But they, but then the producer Michael C. Gross, the executive producer, said that they had to cut that scene because they didn't want people to feel sorry. Yeah, for, in this for the ghost, in the same way that they won't let people see you know, do proper visitations when you're on death row or something. You know, they're they're monitored by other people. So, what did they plan to do with these ghosts? I mean, you hold them indefinitely. Okay, so th- that's one thing that they talk about at the beginning. You know, they're building a prison, not a kind, friendly place for them. You know. But the next terrifying thing about that is that, as with how Damon Eccles ended up on death row, right, this could happen to any of us. We're all going to die. Yeah. That's the one thing that you can be sure of in life, is that you're going to die. So who's to say that any of us aren't going to end up in that basement 
at the hook and ladder in downtown New York. I don't like this at all. It's, it's horrible. I mean, you think about the overcrowding as well. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, the overcrowding. You know, uh, what was their crime? Reading in a library, eating hot dogs at a hot dog stand. Absolutely you know. disgusting. Like, I mean, but to take this with Slimer, it's, it's it's body shaming as well, isn't it? Basically, you know, he's, <laughs> he's a yeah. he's a bigger gentleman, and he, you know, and they they just but the the film pictures him as being like gluttonous and and you know he, slimy. He might have like glandular issues or you know physical problem that means he's not able to exercise as much as other people and or you know a psychological problem whereby he eats too much and and like a food addiction kind of thing and really the way that they treat it is is, it's terrible it's sad really it's it's, sad it's 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 just downright disgusting i'd i'd but what do the ghostbusters do when they're called up on their behavior you know being the good republican conservatives that they are they go straight for the old testament bible Okay, so first of all, th- things things are, are are you know that they're they're busy, they're overworked. You know that they, they they reference the Old Testament from about three quarters of the way through. It's not mentioned early on. They start to bring it in. So there's when Winston says, "Like, do you believe in God?" Ray's obviously agnostic. You know, he never, never met, met him. him. But I remember Revelations seven twelve, and I looked as he opened the sixth seal, and behold. There was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth, and the moon became as blood. Judgment Day. Judgment Day. This is manifest destiny. You know, they're using the Bible to say that it's their right to bust ghosts. Yeah. You know, they they, they do it again, you know, when they're challenged by the EPA, who have been proven right at that point, go to the mayor's office, and what do they start doing? They start, you know, they, they start... They have to get a priest right in there and they start talking about real wrath of God yeah. type stuff. This is the fear. This is what happens in, in, in conservative America. Yeah. You know, if things are going wrong, you pull out your Bible. And they also get you, the military guy as well, don't they? Who says that they, they get the military, they get a military escort yeah. away from the mayor. You know, it's real wrath of God type stuff, you know. Um, so all that said, what they are failing to acknowledge, what they're failing to see here, I believe, is that they are unwitting participants in Goza's plan from the very beginning. Okay. Okay. Because what they do is they essentially gather, trap, and focus this ectoplasmic energy into a specific spot where it can be used to then uh, summon... Goza, when the police come, when Walter Peck comes and he's got the, um, uh, the, the, the whatever it is, the police with him and he, and he yeah. can, um, he's got the warrant to, to come into the basement. Shut it they down. say, but then? Shut it down. He's like, yeah, shut, shut it, it all down. down. Yeah. Shut it all down. So the, what, 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 what they say is that this was all working fine until, you know, Dick when they're in the mayor's office. Exactly. Yeah. But it wasn't. There's, there's a very, very memorable scene where Ray comes in and says, how's the grid holding up? Not, Not good. good. Tell them about the Twinkie. Yeah. Yeah, they've, they've talked about how the whole thing is going to blow before before Walter Peck's even got involved in it. So what they're doing is actually dangerous and like unstable. Okay, if, if they hadn't collected and focused all that energy, would Goza have been able to come through the dimensional portal at all? 
you know, that they, they, they're they're invoking Old Testament stuff. They're they're exploding buildings, which is which is allowing spirits to pass through the dimension. So they're talking about Judgment Day. They're talking about the apocalyptic, the revelations. Yeah. So who are they in this? They are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah. Holy shit. You know, look at it like hell yeah. They are part of the ritual. Okay. Everything they do takes them step by step closer to the moment where they get onto that building. And of course, it's the four of them who end up on top of that building yeah. facing Goza as she steps out. Because she's They even get to form. Along. Yeah, it was the only way it could have happened. Because, yeah, they, without they the would... Ghostbusters creating that that concentration of of energy and spirits, uh, it wouldn't have blown and allowed her to come through. Exactly. They've messed with the natural order of things, which was when ghosts were just wafting around, no one really believed in them. There's you know, this legendary one at Sedgwick Hotel. There was something in the library. The act of busting them brought more ghosts. So in terms of coming back out of the, like you've kind of gone into the into uh, into the story there. So coming back out of it, what does that represent in terms of your metaphorical theory? You see, this this is this is going on to a separate sort of parallel <laughs> shift. You see, because on the one side you've got what's being presented, which is the American dream. Yeah, you know? yeah. What we what we're talking about here is the rotten underbelly. You know of of what of what we're doing. Okay, so so w- when they go there, they even get to choose the form of the destructor. Yeah, that's very very goetic. You know, yeah. you, you, you're allowed to choose the form, but they choose the form. They choose the thing that comes to destroy the world, and it is um, sugar. A, a, it's a corporate mascot. Yeah, a corporate mascot, the, and it's also like uh, you know greed, isn't it? Like sugar and all like the shit. Gluttony, sugar. Like, yeah. like it, it, it's, it's, they've basically gone against the rules of nature and that the whole world is having to pay for what they're going to do. And I mean, look at it, look at it, you know, so, so it's, it's this goetic idea you, the, the, the God comes and she's absolutely terrified, t- terrifying. You know, t- they are terrified. They, they use their weapons. Their weapons are useless. You know, I mean, they, they were Goza's weapons all along, you know, like, like yeah. they, they were tools of Goza basically. Then they, then, as with the as with certain goetic spirits, she gives them a choice of what it wants to appear as. You know, because certain goetic spirits, when you summon them, they'll give you a choice. You know, or, or, or you can ask them that next time you appear, could you appear something a little less terrifying? You know, so that I can do this stuff. You know, so they cho- so Ray chooses something from his childhood. You know, when he used to roast marshmallows as a kid and so on. You know, but when you look at it, how is the marshmallow man actually going to bring? destruction to the world it, it destruct it destroys a part of new york city around central park yeah, yeah. but what's then going to happen i mean is the are we really having to believe here how's that it, the marshmallow man is going to run around the world how's he going to cross the sea yeah i mean he's like, going to swim you know like will it dissolve in the water i mean what 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 is going on here you know like it is it, is very 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 um weird you know so so they they pick basically the form of what is going to destroy the world. You know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse summoned to the top of the building by demons. You know, they're brought there by, again, it's quite goetic. They're brought, brought there by middlemen, you yeah. know, Vince Clothos and Zul. They're brought to the temple, which is the top of the building. What do they do at the top of the building? 
I mean, how how do they how do they bust um, Goza? They cross the streams. They cross the streams, which is deadly. Yeah. So they are summoned to the top of the building, and when they get there, they indulge in human sacrifice. Because <laughs> you know, it could, it could uh, yeah, it it kills them. Yeah. You know, and, and 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 yeah, okay. So at the end, you know, that they're in a they're in a better place, aren't they? Goza Goza's gone. They're, they 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 they're covered in all this like white floaty material. Yeah. You know, like it's all around them. You know, but Ghostbusters is, and this is one of the things that you talked about earlier. Essentially, a film about multiple dimensions. That I mean, they even say when they go to the top, you know, shift to the nearest convenient parallel dimension. Yeah, yeah. Which is where they are then, because what happens in actual, you know what would happen in actual sort of mainstream continuity is that they go and they complete the ritual. They, they sacrifice themselves, a blood sacrifice to the great God Goza. Yeah. Um, who then in, inherits the world and creates a socialist utopia. I, I've, I feel like my mind has been blown. There was a, there was a few things in there that I had considered before, but you took it to a, a whole other level. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think that now we should we, we we need to watch Ghostbusters again with all this in mind. <laughs> I'm scared to. I'm scared to. I, I I don't know. I did. I drew um, whilst you were talking. I drew a little picture of Gozer. I don't know if you can see there. Little. Oh yeah, I can. Let's let's put it on the Instagram. I will. I'll put it on the. Gram. Yeah, it's good. I'll put it on the gram. I also took a, a, a little photograph of you when you were in full um, <laughs> light. You look like you know that uh, that picture of Charlie from. Always sunny in Philadelphia, where he's got all of the <laughs> all of the like red <laughs> strings behind him, and he's like going like that. It looked like that. It looked like a, a man <laughs> full frenzy. Um, it was, it was good. Yeah, that was. I think we've uh, we've covered some good ground there, and hopefully there'll be there'll be some stuff that's new to people to our listeners. Yeah, well, I, I, I made it. I, I tried to make an effort to, to try to talk about something because, like we were saying, the trivia, there's endless Ghostbusters trivia. Um, there's all these amazing books. You can get them. There's, um, there's one that I really wish I had that came out when we were about 17 or 18, which had the whole script and drawings from the original script. And I've kind of cobbled it together with that. I know um, one of our good friends, again, I, I won't, I won't name, name them, had two copies of it. It was a really, really good book. Um, and th- through the years, there's a new one coming out called uh, Nearest Convenient Parallel Dimension, I think, um, which is um, a deeper dive into, um, you know, like h- how they made it and the production of it, I think. Uh, it looks really good. Um, I'll link to as many as I can um, in in the show notes uh, because, like I was saying before, I've had probably the most fun out of any of the episodes that we've researched, researching this episode. But what I was going to ask you now is, is sort of how... Did Ghostbusters inform Vase, which we've kind of covered, but I think we, it's worth talking about again. And how can Ghostbusters help you to live a, a better life? Because I think it definitely can, if we ignore what I've just spent about twenty minutes talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the things that, like one of the um, kind of part of the core, or one of the kind of early things in our in our friendship, and our certainly one of the main stages of our friendship was the band that we were in when we were like. 15 16 we used to do covers of the ghostbusters theme and stuff like that and i think we we took a lot from that in terms of i think we felt like various characters represented us and i know that you you had a strong affinity with ray and i remember our guitarist taking me aside in a rare moment of um uh almost personal sincerity and saying buckley 
I, I say that I mean this in the kindest way, but you're the most Venkman person I've ever met. Um, and <laughs> Which ha- has bad connotations now, but we didn't know that does, at the time. Uh, but please, please, <laughs> I do not, yeah. It, I, I, I think it was actually a, meant to be a compliment. But yeah, and I think it's um, it's had that whole thing about like, teams groups the importance yeah i mean of it's a model people. for how friendship can work isn't it i think yeah and, and it really works like... in it works in bands you know but it also works in kind of, in terms of just just that whole like different characters within a friend group or in terms of even even like the workplace if you want to be really fucking boring yeah well the whole idea of of those guys who'd come up through um you know second city and saturday night live and all that sort of thing the idea was always to make the other people look, yeah, yeah. always make the other person look better, you know, than you. Always give them the best line and so on. Because if everyone's trying to make everyone else look better, everyone starts to look better. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm, I mean, it, it, it did. I think that that truly, if we can get rid of all of the capitalism and the Lovecraftian stuff and everything, the core of that movie is friendship, isn't it? The friendship of those three guys and uh, and, and then Winston as well when he comes and then the way they all come together and they they, they it's friendship that saves the world, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's them being willing to put others in, uh, before themselves at the end, you know, uh, which is which is a nice antidote to the capitalist thing, you know, because at the end they decide that they're going to do whatever it takes uh, to, to save the world, um, e- even if it jeopardises their life and i think it, it, it's something that i've assimilated through the years and i i like to think into myself you know a lot of ghostbusters um uh you know like i mean even the way that i call my friends by their surnames i think is is yeah. down to ghostbusters you know because i mean like buckley holmes bilbo hodge i even call my partner by her second name you know yeah. it's it's like i think the fact is that if you're not my blood relative and I don't call you by your surname, I probably just don't like you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a sign of respect, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's, 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 uh, Ghostbusters is about coming together in the face of danger and every human being is capable of acts of great bravery. I think it's time we started to wrap up um yeah. so i think i want to thank everyone again who's listening uh, yeah. again you know, we, we've only been launched for uh, well it's less than two months at the moment and we've been really overwhelmed by people's interest and people who are enjoying this it's it's really 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 good uh really like enjoying the community of uh the sort of core people who who we can chat about i'm getting book recommendations so I mean, shout out to giants of discovery um yeah Kev. Uh, and i've actually been and like looked into some of the books uh that he's been recommending to me a lot of people have been interested in the music so you can get that from uh band camp there's a link through from our website um, you can find us on twitter Instagram at V-A-Y-S-E-E-S-Y-A-V. So that's Vase, then Vase spelt backwards. Uh, you can email us, uh, vaseinfo at gmail.com. 
That's V-A-Y-S-E-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. And people have been emailing us and it's always great to hear from people and we we reply whenever we can. It's been cool because I, I, there's quite a few sort of old friends have come out of the woodwork, people I've not spoken to in years who've picked up on it and uh, and been really into it. And or people who we kind of didn't know who were into this stuff, you know, who've... who've, uh, who've contacted us it's really cool it's really good that i think people uh i think my brother said um he just finds it relaxing listening to our voices because he's Poor grown bastard. he's been indoctrinated i hasn't know he? he's grown up just with us like just it being in the next room and hearing us can you imagine when he, he he's five <laughs> years younger than us so when we were kind of you know he was he was pretty young when we were imagining when we were like 10 11 up in my <laughs> yeah. room he'd have been he'd have been sort of six and he'd have been there in his room just hearing us like he took the full force of our bullshit <laughs> yeah and if you enjoy the full force of our bullshit please rate us and leave a comment um especially on apple um because uh, that's where people look at these sort of things um, you can leave us a star rating which is great and we'd really love it if you could leave us a comment even if it's good, even if it's short, as long as it's positive. If it's not positive, uh, just go and start your own podcast. I'm, I'm not interested. Do you know? I actually, I have a question for you, Hein, before we go. So, if you could pick two Ghostbusters, two of the original four Ghostbusters, to do a podcast together, like Vase, but them two. Who would you choose? And think carefully about it. Think carefully. I don't even have to think. I know this. It would be Egon and Winston because those guys have depths. You know, we've seen Ray in full flow and Venkman in full flow. But to have Egon and Winston having a chat about stuff, the meeting of minds that would be there, it would be absolute like genius. You know, that there'd be no, um, you know, that there'd be none of the the fronting that Venkman and Stans do. It would be. It would be just. You know, you can imagine. You know the. The, the insightful questions that Winston would ask for uh, for, for Egon to answer, I think it, it, it's it, I think it's a match made in heaven. That yeah, I mean, if you think about you know, also you don't really see that much interaction between Egon and Winston in the film. As he, like Winston tends to hang out with Ray a bit more, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, the two hands-on guys. Yeah, I mean, two- I'm not sure that Spengler has any friends really, but he has that that weird thing about Janine, doesn't he? There's that moment when he sort of slinks out from underneath yeah. the desk, isn't there? And he, there's yeah. a couple of there's a couple of like sexy Egon moments. There's that, and then there's when he, he says, uh, "I think they're more interested in my epididymis, which isn't that in like the second movie. Isn't that yeah. like in your balls? It's like this. That, that is part of your balls. Part yeah, of your balls. Yeah. And then, it's a very specific part of your balls as well. Yeah, and then it's like so. 